0: You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On today's show, we have Jenny Hua. She has 20 years of experience as a strategic marketing consultant, a brand marketer and communicator in the hardware, software, mobile app, and telecommunication industries, serving startups and progressive companies. She has worked with Fortune 500 companies such as Intel, Intuit, and British Telecom, where she launched and managed regional co-branded programs with PC OEM partners, their retailers and resellers invigorated new user acquisition to drive growth and establish regional brand presence. On today's show, we talk about how do you see marketing and promotion for companies changing with technology, the process for creating and implementing a social media calendar, and with marketing and PR, what you should be really excited for in 2021. And also, Jenny is offering a special gift for our listeners that write a review on iTunes and share. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear the gift. All right, now let's start the show. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Jenny, thank you for taking the time today to be on the Silicon Valley Podcast. Now, For people at home that may not know this, Jenny wrote an amazing article about the show that has been featured both online and the print version of a local newspaper here in Silicon Valley, and it's gotten a lot of attention. And I just have to thank her for bringing so many listeners and eyes and that to this show. Now, Jenny has worked with a huge range of startups here in Silicon Valley in all different areas. Her career is absolutely fascinating, but Jenny, could you tell our audience at home a bit about your career up until this point?
1: Hey, thanks, Sean. I am excited to be here. Really, thank you for that amazing introduction. It was great working with you. You know, I have an interesting journey. I'll say that I started in technology marketing, I was working in the corporate world. The corporate world actually gave me a lot of experience that I was able to take it to my own journey. I think my journey in the last 15 years has been working on my own, being my own boss, working with a lot of amazing startups that really taught me a lot of lessons as well as really helping me enrich my experience, understanding the entrepreneurial community. Having walked there in their shoes, I could feel the struggles, I could feel their triumphs. When they got funded or when they've actually launched, I was tremendously excited. It felt like giving a birth, right? I don't know why, I just love launching company. Because there is something in it that you spend so much energy. The end results, if it's great, you just feel like, wow, you just... Gave birth to something.
0: So, when you're helping these companies launch, what's your kind of role in that process? Are you doing sales? Are you doing developing? What focus is for these companies?
1: Yeah, for a lot of the early stage startups that come to work with me, they're usually at a stage of conceptualizing their product. Some of them don't even have a product in their marketplace. So, I work a lot with more around the lean canvas.
0: Go into more detail for us what the Lean Canvas is.
1: It's like a one-page business plan. It allows you to look at your idea and how to formalize that idea and turn it into a real business. When you create a product, you have a product you love, but you also want a product to sustain and make profits, and support your lifestyle and grow it, right? That's kind of where I focus all of energy with a lot of the early-stage st- startups on.
0: Okay, so if I was a company and I came to you. And maybe I even have sales. How would the lean canvas help me at that point? Am I already past it, or let I me mean, give me a little bit more detail? Okay, what the components are, how it benefits, when I should be thinking of this.
1: You know, some companies actually don't even have a lean canvas to start with, and they have a product in the marketplace. But I think the lean canvas is a good foundation for a startup who has an idea that you can actually take it out and test the market and trying to find product market fit, I work with a lot of steps to define the foundational pieces. What is this product? Who is this product for? What are the pain points you're trying to solve? What are the three possible solutions? Because some products could adjust one market segment and some could have three different market segments. But you had to pick which one you want to start with first, right? I think identifying that early, it helps you know what problem that you're solving for and who you're solving the problems for, right? you know that you need a little pain point in order to really address what people are feeling, whether your solutions is the right fit.
0: So when you're working with these companies, if they say this is the direction we're going in, this is what we think we're solving, but you say, actually, that's not a pain point. A real pain point is this over here that you could solve. What's that conversation like? Will they pivot or is there just a kind of an argument, a fight there?
1: I don't think we need to go into any confrontational confrontational, uh, what do you call it, the uh, protocol. It's as a conversation asking the founder and the startup to maybe they need to go back and take a look at the market segment, do a little bit more deeper research. I think typically for a lot of the young startups, I remember looking at some of the best practices, but even actually working with some is that if you had to take your product out to talk to 20, 50 customers and get all the feedback, because people have different feedbacks, right? Because of different experiences, different backgrounds and how they wanna use it. So you gotta take all that into consideration. But if you review those data and it, your product is still going in the right direction, then maybe you just need to modify something. It might not require a pivot. A Pivot doesn't mean that you have to take something and redo it over again. You know, a pivot could be you changing your business model. Maybe going from freemium to actually getting a pay, a subscription model in place. Or maybe just changing the feature a little bit. You know, let's say if you have an app, you might not need to have a in or just a simple login to get access to it. Instead of asking people a bunch of questions and they get really tired. and So, oh, forget it. I just think this is too tricky to get on. I'm going <laughs> to skip this thing.
0: That's interesting. I didn't even think about the onboarding process and how much that could actually play in acquiring a customer or not. When you're working with one of these startups, how can a company build a brand? I know that you've given a lot of advice in that for companies in the marketing, in the brand area. What type of advice do you have or do you give in most situations?
1: Well, first, I have to say that building a brand takes time. It's not something that you can build overnight. There are different types of startups. So building brand could be different for each startup because of the situation and also the product and the market segments that it go into. So in my mind, to keep things simple, and it could be three different categories of startups. I would say there are startups who are, say, privately funded. There are those who might be VC angel funded. And then there are those who might already have a great strong brand, but they're starting up a new business. For my sake, because of my experience in the, with the early stage startup, I'll just focus on the ones that are privately funded because I think those are the hardest ones. Because you got to put in just wet money to go build a brand. Typically, building a brand, I think first you have to, before you run out and go build logos and all these marketing assets, all these shiny stuff, I think you had to build a foundational piece first. You got to have a product got to have product that you have addressed the product market fit, because I think it needs to have some traction. And if you're funding yourself, you got to be really capital efficient You're making sure that you have six to 12 months of runway, because it may take that long to actually get traction, get customers. I think until you have some traction, then you would start looking at, hey, you know, now we really know what product looks like, what we're building, and we know the pain points talk about. We might have an opportunity to, to test some messages when we go take the product out to talk to customers. That's when you then, I think, is to put together your logo, your website, your pitch deck. Just the basic pieces that at least someone, if they want more information, they can go in and get it. You can actually also use it when you go out and pitch to customers, getting more customers or pitching to get additional funding. At that point, I think your brand is still Kind of like in the baby stage, just kind of like a baby is in the baby stage. And as you go out and get more additional customers, I would say before you go to 1,000 customers, I think you should focus your brand activities around doing more of word of mouth, working with influencers who really believe in your product and have them go out there and be the evangelizer. Kind of like be your sneezers. I call them who can sneeze the furthest for you. Also just build using organic social media. I just think that you don't have to throw tons of money to, to build a social buzz. I just think you have to make sure you manage your capital efficiently, because otherwise you will be running money before you can actually go build your brand. Just use those mechanisms to get those fundamentals going first. If you can use the influencers to help you do the advertising, that's the best kind of advertising that you'll get. And at that level, I think you know, your brand is setting some awareness, some buzz. You know, as you grow, get more traction, when you get to 1,000 customers, I think that's when you can put a little bit more fire into this product. Now you can go actually maybe do a little bit more social media advertising, Google ads, and even ratchet up your speaking opportunities. And I think because those media can actually help you scale. They can do a much better job in terms of targeting most banging your bucks for the money that you put in. I would also say the executive team is also important in helping you build your brand too. There are folks who either come with their own brand, but I think they should actually elevate their, their personal brand to help influence the direction of where company is going.
0: It does make sense. I would guess you know that 1,000 customer mark is probably a lot different depending on what the company is, if it's B2B versus B2C versus right. software. And, and actually, because one of the things that comes up here on the podcast quite a bit is getting customer feedback. And that's actually really interesting how, how much feedback you're promoting before actually Build in the logo and website and that, it mm-hmm. sounds like you're really heavy on asking customers in advance as much as possible. Is that right?
1: Maybe I'll backtrack a little bit. I mean, you could build a minimum brand assets, what I call it. If your company, I think you should define what your company's overall purpose is, what this vision is in the beginning. But I think for a lot of companies, sometimes they're just still kind of figuring out, okay, yeah, I think that's right. I think we're going the right direction. So for some, it, it takes, you know, if you don't have a firm vision, then it takes a quite a few steps before they get to the right one, I think. So You can have a minimum set of foundations, right? A one-pager website, a pitch deck, and a summary. Those are the basic things that you can just go out because you need a lot of time to go out there and do recruiting your customers, recruiting people to work with you. If you need a team, you might need some of those to go do fundraising.
0: You talked about the executive team building their brand and being ambassadors. What are ways that A startup can get noticed online right now with all the massive amount of content out there.
1: I have worked with a couple early stage startups. We talk about those concepts. One of the things that we talk about was using viral marketing. You know how Dropbox, I know you've seen the Dropbox there early early stage, uh, they did a video that was it was titled Dropbox Explain. Use a very unconventional way of creating the video. It was like a two-minute thing. It used just cut out these paper stuff and stop motion kind of thing. So it's like a cartoony. It's not cartoony, but it's very interesting. There's a name for it, but I forgot. I actually watched it uh, not too long ago. It's different from video that you would see from a company actually using an outside professional production because those are way too professional for me. Do you have a viral video that could actually draw some attention to it, put it on your website, send it out when you do your pitch. That's to every customer that you get in touch with and that's your foot in the door. Because a lot of times, people get so inundated with information, I would just rather have watched a two-minute video so I get, oh yeah, I got the concept. That's it. And it was well explained. It tells exactly why you need to use Dropbox.
0: How does one, through this, the video and that, how do they build an emotional connection with their customer? I mean, right now, everything I see online is just flashes, it's there and it's done. But I don't feel that connection... Like I did maybe growing up where you'd see that hamburger, that cereal ad or, or that where, <laughs> you know, it'd make you so happy. But no, is there a way that a startup, an early stage company can build emotional connection between their product and the customer?
1: I think that we're all humans. I think the best way is to really humanize your brand, right? When I say humanize your brand, I want to tack on what, what you said about, you know, when you see those commercials about the hamburgers that makes you <laughs> mouth watering. I want to say that create something that connects with the human emotions, whether it's a success story of someone that you help you know, through your product, tell a story. The storytelling is really powerful. Instead of selling features and widgets and make it really transactional, really reach deep inside, have the users tell the story and how your product helped them right, in a way that lift them up, you know, help them be better or take them to a different place. Not just startups, I think even recently I saw a couple ads ran by, what is that health company, Blue Shield, right? I don't know if you caught it. It was, I think they started out last year in October, but I was on TV the other day and was watching it. They had two ads, one ad that talks about what is blue. It was a real simple ad. They have a theme song, I think it's on American Dream. It was just a a flash of showing what blue is and what blue is not. You'll get it. It's just simple text with imagery. And it just really pulls out the emotions. And then another one that they did was supporting the frontline workers, just reminding us not to forget about them. Because I think this COVID had impact so much, sometimes we forget. And then when we're into trenches, we just forget things, right? And sometimes we have to be reminded again. I think those types of things that really touch on what's currently impacting us could also be very
0: emotional too. And one thing I wanted to add, you interviewed the show for a newspaper article and it's gotten a lot of attention. How can a startup reach out and get interviewed for articles? How can they get some media attention for them without paying the big dollars to a PR company?
1: That's a good question. For startups, if you want to be interviewed by a publication, I think first you have to look at your product and what market you're in. Go and do a little bit of research, see uh, what publications, writing topics that are closely related to your product. You should also make sure that your topic is kind of newsworthy, right? Because if you're a market-providing product that is serving or solving immediate needs or a near-future need, it meets a trend. Think about kind of the newsworthy angle, right? Is this the right timing for it? And also the right timing for your companies to get that kind of exposure? You know, I would say uh, a lot of publications, the way there are group is there are local publications, there are publications that reach the regional level, and also there's some that are national. So I think if you want to sort of uh, manage exposure a little bit, you could start with some local regional, go to the bigger ones as you get better. And when you look at publications, you really study their editorial calendar. You know, they all have one, it's on their website, and kind of see what they focus on. Sometimes they might have topics that fit what you want to talk about or to be interviewed for. Uh, Sometimes they don't. If you study, you could say, "Well, hey, I see you got this great audience and these great contents, but I'm seeing there's something that's missing. How about we? You make a proposal, right? How about we come and share this information? And that's how I got started with the Los Altos Town Choir two years ago. I was looking at the paper; there wasn't a column on marketing, so I pitched to the editor. He sent me to someone and then they came back and said, well, hey, you know, I think they probably looking at my background and say, in, in addition to marketing, can you also include technology and also startup because you work with a lot of startups? I said, sure, let's blend all that in. It's interesting because it's just like you launching your podcast. I need to have an anchor guy to help me launch my first article. So I worked with Oscar Garcia. He was a former CEO of the Mountain Chamber of Commerce. So Oscar and I wrote uh, an article about social media. You know, when you actually, when also when you pitch the papers is um, either it's, it's an article that you want them to interview you for uh, or something that you could write and you can also pitch to them. You can write an article and you can also pitch to them.
0: So you'd mention calendars for it. So there's two questions there. The calendar for the newspaper and also social media calendars for startups. I've heard that term quite a bit. Could you talk about maybe what the differences of these calendars are, what the social media calendar is, and go into more detail?
1: Okay, so the editorial calendars actually for the press. is to guide them so that they can focus what topic they could feature for the whole year. And usually these are prepared like six months or even to 12 months in advance. If you want to talk to them, you actually really should pitch to them like six months before they write that focus on that topic. I think the same thing could apply to social media, but I think social media calendar is much more dynamic. It needs to tie it into your company marketing strategy, overall marketing strategies, because I don't think or your marketing, of course, right now in the pandemic, we're all online. You know, digital media, social media is much has more, carry more weight. But in the non-COVID time, bringing back that brand building question that you asked earlier, also building that emotional connection is to make sure that your social media also calendar, that calendar should also encompass some offline activities that enable you to engage with your audience offline think we miss trade shows. You know, we cannot go to trade shows anymore. Can I go to networking happy hour anymore? So those FaceTimes are not there. Take those away and try to replace with social media, the digital touch is gonna to be a little bit different, right? I don't think your social media your social media calendar should be set on a monthly basis because I think and also a weekly basis. Just depending on how complex a company or a portfolio that you have, right? I think if you have a you have a small company, you might have fewer products is easier to manage. But I think if you have multiple, I think laying out a social media calendar would benefit your team because you're gonna to need to assign people to focus on it. And depending on where you're playing, right, in social media channels, there's like up to 10, 20 different ones. I think the main ones is depending on if you are a BDB or a BDC company, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, Reddit, some of those things are still are really relevant because they have eyeballs right now. They're really mature uh, channels. So I think you should have some allocated time to dedicate what topics you're going to focus on. Pick a topic. So let's, let's just say like hypothetically that if you want to plan out an annual social media calendar, probably should have certain topics that you focus on that's tied closely to your company's product roadmap because you want to focus on the products that you're going to bet on for the year, which one is going to drive revenue, right? You might have some new releases, or you might have some established products that you still want to keep it there because they're still revenue drivers. And from there, just build your little social media calendar for each one of them. They might be overlapping between products, but I think if you have a little mini plan for each product line, decide on what channel you're going to focus on. Let's say four, just focus on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and then decide on what topics you're going to have, and really. Kind of uh, stage out your your post, determine the frequencies, how often you post, and make sure when you post, don't run. I think when you do get involved with social media, right? Engage. I favor more engagement than like just posting and hoping to have likes versus really engage with your audience
0: and with your followers. Can you talk more about that the difference between engagement and running?
1: Well, sometimes I do that. I'm bad. You know, when you have a little, a little, you know, a couple of minutes. Oh. Gosh, I need to put something up. When you do a post, usually you post. I have a little ritual, right? Some people are online all the time, but I have to work, right? So I have to focus, let's say in the morning, 10 minutes, you know, my time to focus on just doing posting. I think one of the rule of thumbs that I hear is um, you do five posts, you share five people's posts, and then you engage with five. If you work through that process... Eventually, you will reach, you know, a certain number of people that you want to keep engaged with. And those people could become actually your loyal followers, uh, audience. I think it's good to have a cohort of people who support you, engage you, with you. It's a really healthy way of not just posting and run away. When people give you comments, you don't don't provide feedback unless like in 72 hours. I think that's too late for social media, you know. I think within twenty-four to twenty hours is acceptable. Just to make sure that you people respond to you. You reciprocate.
0: How do you see social media changing with new technology, and how well just technology in general progressing? What do you see as trends? What do you see in the marketing industry?
1: Technology is ever changing. I think there's a lot of technology that's already happened that really changed the way we do marketing. I just remember the first time I used a chatbot. Go to someone's website, you can't even find their phone numbers, and all you do is a chat box there. I think that technology has also improved. It's actually helping businesses to be smarter, to service our customer better, to help us actually weed out the customer in the funnel, the people who are are adopters and the people who are more interested. So it helps to. A business to be more efficient, there are technology in social media. I think Facebook pixels that you can install on your landing page to allow an advertiser to go back and retarget the audience actually stop by to look at the information. So I think it allows the marketer or the advertiser to actually make better use, efficient use of our investment. It allows to be more personalized and more targeted where we spend our money and whether that is actually going to help us do conversion. I think over time, it allows us to, you know, have better leads in the funnel that we can actually convert them, you know, have a a higher probability of converting them because you're getting better leads because you're you're messaging, the personalization is actually getting the right people, you know, through your funnel.
0: How do you think things are going to change post-COVID with marketing? Is there going to be a change in the industry? Aren't we going through a change right now? How are you seeing things kind of play out?
1: You know, the technology will always be here. I think the ones who has been accelerated by podcast, I think it's going to be even more accelerated, right? Because people, once you get familiar with using the medium, you liked it, you know that it benefits you, you're going to continue using it, right? Because we're our creatures of habits. Once you used it, you like it. I don't think it's going to drop. I think it's going to add more channels to what we already have. I also think that some of the technologies like voice search, so it's interesting because that's already happening before COVID, right? I think COVID encouraged those behaviors that we need to shop more online. We need to do more search online. Some of us want to type it. Some actually want to talk on the phone and just ask for directions or ask or search for information. I do that with my Google. I have an Android phone, right? You have iPhone, so you can ask Siri, right? And I have Alexa at home. <laughs> I talk to Alexa, right? So these things are getting smarter, and that means for companies and marketers, information on our website, I think even the content and our social media needs to be a little bit more conversational because people are going to be, they're not going to say have this keyword that stuck in my head. They're going to search for things in phrases, and that's already happening. But I actually search things in sentences. I actually, you know, a question (laughs) with more than seven words. Basically, making sure that your content is conversational, that you have some tools. That's actually tools out there help companies identify what are some keywords or mentions that the consumers are talking about in the social media space. And they can actually provide you those data, those information so that you can use it to help you create better messaging, more relevant messaging, more personalized messaging.
0: And I gotta ask, I mean, you've worked with so many startups over the years. Can you share a few of the stories of some of the companies that you've worked with?
1: Yeah, I wanted to actually talk about two the folks I also interviewed for the LATC, uh, La Los Altos Town Choir. I work with R SNR, supposed to be our community. It's a company that launched by two tech veterans. They're also entrepreneurs themselves. They've actually wanted to bring back a sense of community in the digital age. I think you probably remember Mr. Rogers, who's the guy who loves to you know, hang out with your neighbors and being really nice and friendly. So they really want to bring that sense of community belong back into the uh, cities and towns. We get connected with the businesses, with the, the local organizations, with the folks in our community. Just think about if you go to the next town, do you know what's happening? Not everything. And you might know something, but not all. But just say in the non-COVID time when you want to know what's happening, like the events, restaurants, you can go to places, you can go shop. You can just go to the our community. They have a website. and uh, geolo- They use geolocation technology, so you can just type in the zip code or even the name of the city, and then voila, it pulls up all the information about what's in that city. The retail shop, the restaurants, uh, museums to go to, business services, you need to like bring a dry clean there and get a dry clean back at the same time, the <laughs> same day. So it's all there. I think it, it's an interesting thing because I was talking to the founders and we compare notes and we said, well, you know, I use Facebook, I look at Yelp and Facebook, I just get inundated with all the different feeds. I like companies, but they all, you know, just type and then you have tons of information. Nonstop, And then if you miss something, you had to go back and find where, where did it come from. Go to Yelp, you hear all these negative comments and businesses like, wow, how do I get around that? A lot of businesses get hurt because there's a lot of negative comments from customers. Our community was built to make sure that they take away those negative diatribes and you know, making sure that this is a building a community where people could support each other.
0: Just throwing in a plug there, for everyone that loves this podcast, please write a positive review on iTunes <laughs> for us. It would really help us out, encourages <laughs> us to make more content. Jenny, okay, continue with that.
1: Uh, the other company that I work with is actually a woman led AI based company. It's called, well, the product is called Alicia, A L Y S I A, but it's part of a good company called Wave AI. I interviewed Maya, uh, who's the founder. Maya is fantastic. She is a artificial computer intelligence expert, as well as an artwork singer. The reason the product is created because it was her own struggle, that she been trained to do singing, but she couldn't really put a song together. So that was her own pain point. So she basically turned to a research project, but eventually kind of commercialized the whole concept. So Alicia, the consumer product, was born so that it actually enabled all kinds of music lovers to be able to use the app and create original music. And they use AI algorithms to help you generate the top-line melodies, the lyrics, the vocals. It's really fun. I use it. I also use other folks, and I thought their apps is the easiest. Because sometimes, some apps, the way they're built is not very intuitive. I think they've done some really great work. I think it's really an interesting product to use, especially during this time, because music, things is to help us offload. Just the anxiety is being in this pandemic. (laughs) Really?
0: So you're working with all these companies. You've written about a ton of companies as well. What excites you for 2021?
1: Okay, 2021, I think a lot has to do with how this COVID-19 progressed. I have some of my personal plans. Want wanted to expand some of my speaking engagements, so I'm really excited for some of the training classes that I'm going to be putting together. I have some materials on Lean Canvas and personal branding, which I'm, I'm going to brush up a little bit, really push it out and try to make it like an evergreen series, because I think those are topics that people I need all the time. It, there's no season behind those topics. I'm also excited about a lot of the features that companies are pushing out in a sense that they're trying to add to the digital touch. Remember, we talked about the digital touch. We're all humans. You know, we have our five senses, right? So what's missing now is we can see, we can hear, but the touching part, the feeling part the, is missing. So there is a, an app called Clubhouse that I'm excited about. I think you probably have read about it. It's being funded by some big tech investors, but it's in beta mode. It is what is called a uh, audio social network. They have virtual rooms you can go into and you can have conversation with people. Right now, the app is in beta mode. It's like they only invite Celebrities and influencers. So that's good, right? They're kind of doing it right. Make it by invitation, it's very special. And they already have like a hundred million dollar valuation behind it. That's cool. But on the other hand, I just, a lot of the social media companies are doing some great stuff, right? They are enhancing their product by enabling having more virtual room meetings, like the Facebook Messenger. A lot of the apps, like I'm not endorsing Facebook or Instagram or anybody, but they're just making the user experience more friendly. The apps you can actually shop within the app. So you don't have to have a third party app to go e-commerce app to plug into your ad or in your or on your website to do that. So if you advertise, you could actually and you have a, a shopping site, you could actually buy within the app. So I think there's a lot of technology out there that's making the user experience more integrated, helping advertisers be more efficient, the way how we target personalize the customer experience. I think those are the exciting things.
0: It seems that we keep going back a little bit to the user experience and the user interface. How important is that for a startup or a company to focus on that at the beginning while they're getting all the customer feedback?
1: I think getting user experience is important, especially if you have a website or an app. But even if you have a hardware product, it might be different things that you're looking at. But I think people need to be able to take away that having it be intuitive and easy to use. Well, think of Apple, the way how they create their products, right? I'm not an Apple fan. I'm Android. I just think of, I actually used the Mac before I was converted to Microsoft using the desktop. But I love the product, right? It was just really user-friendly. It's like a one-button touch. And, And even the things, the icons that they put in there is intuitive. So a lot of big companies who have money, they've actually... Bring in customers and do user experience, like research, right? Before they launch product. For a startup, you probably don't have that kind of money. But I think you can still gather a small group of people who are willing to give you feedback in exchange for a bought deal. You can give them a product usage for free or something, right? But I think feedback is important and the feedback loop should be really ongoing. It's not like as I do a lot of the software companies, because you know, software companies have A lot of releases. Each time before a new release, you have customer feedbacks. You always constantly have this feedback loop, so you can constantly just improve your product over time. You might not meet all the user needs, but at least you hit the minimum and things that are it's make a difference between you and the next guy.
0: And Jenny, is there anything that we missed today that you think our audience would benefit from?
1: Okay, Sean. You know, I want to go back and talk about touch a little bit on personal branding and also one other point that's outside of this, so I have two. You asked one, right? In my mind, for startup, before you even start your company, I think the guys who are the visionaries have an idea before you even have that itch is to really focus on building your personal brand. The reason I say that is because um, I have seen so many startups struggle doing fundraising and trying to put money out to build awareness at the same time, also need to spend money to invest and develop the product because that's very costly. I think I would rather that you do it before your product development is to kind of get ready for that, right? And personal branding just means that I think we all have to be on social media, whether it's social media or going out there doing some speaking or even writing an article. Share those knowledge. By sharing knowledge, people will look up to you and you'll automatically sort of become this authority. Having authority gives you the credibility, that runway, when you eventually go out and pitch your product. I think it makes it easier because then people would have heard of this name, even though they know you personally, but they trust you. I think trust is like the biggest thing to me for a startup to build. I don't think we're all very trusting people these days, right? Because I think consumers don't even trust advertising. They trust referrals. That's why all these review sites popped up. But if you have a strong brand, a strong presence, it makes things so much easier if you go out to recruit customers, your first early adopters. Because every time I hear people say, well, how do I trust this brand? How do I know it's safe? And if you have a strong brand, you can actually recruit good people to work on your team. I think it's very important. I think some VCs don't even want to fund a company unless you have two people in your company a CEO, and a CTO. You cannot be everything. We don't have experts, a whole spectrum of expertise. You got to have the right team on board. I think that's very important. A Team that complements each other and your skills. You can be confrontational, disagree, but you need to work together as a team. And then I think having a strong brand will help you do fundraising. As much as a lot of companies want to put in their own money, at some point it's going to run out. Unless you have another income stream coming from somewhere, I think some of those do, some folks do, then at least you have some runway. But I think having a strong brand really help you in those three areas. Getting first customers, recruit great team, and have some money to go build your product and get somewhere where it's going. Slowly build your brand. The other thing I want to say is just working through with a lot of startups, I think You need to prepare before you get on to your entrepreneurial journey. I think it's exciting to launch a company, to launch a product. You have to be mentally ready. When I say that mentally ready is the mental aspect and the physical aspect. Because fundraising, launching a business could be very exhausting. (laughs) You know, at times, it's not always hunky-dory, right? There will be ups and there will be downs. And you will be tested through the valleys, right? The ups and downs. And I think if you are mentally strong, prepare for it, you can overcome those and you can help your team overcome those and you'll be coming out stronger.
0: That's great advice. If anyone wants to find out more about you, get in touch with you, what's the best way to go about doing it?
1: Well, they can uh, visit my website. It's J-E-N-N-Y, huang, marketing.com. Or they can just email me, Jenny at jennyhuanwalking.com.
0: Great. And for everyone at home, Jenny's actually offered our listeners an amazing gift for anyone that writes a review, takes a screenshot and emails it to me, my information, or send it to me on Twitter or any of the social medias. And that is a 30 minute free consultation for your startup, your company. So once again, if anyone writes a review on iTunes, takes a screenshot, sends it to me. Uh, my email is sean at com. You will get a 30-minute free consultation from Jenny. All right, All right. Jenny, thank you again for your time today on the Silicon Valley Podcast, and we look forward to having you on the show again in the future.
1: Thanks, Sean. It's been fun.
0: Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the Silicon and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is licensed by the Investors Podcast Network. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.